Thanks for tuning in to the Harvest Springs weekly podcast. Every week we'll provide you with the weekend message from our Sunday service. Now here's this week's episode with our lead pastor, Corey Engel. Guys, we are in the, the middle, really, I mean, really towards the end of this series on the biblical feast of Israel. All of these feasts are laid out in Leviticus 23. So if you want to kind of go check out all of those feasts, God lays them out. These feasts are not like we think of feasts. They're not like a, uh, you know, go and sit in front of a big banquet. They're really, when it says feast, it just is a holiday. It's a time of gathering. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of remembrance. And that's what these feasts are. There were times when certain things happened. And this sixth feast that we're going to talk about today, is no, there's no feasting. In fact, there's no real uh, gathering point. Today we're talking about the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was something that was navigated completely by the high priest. And the high priest had a whole bunch of responsibilities to kind of prepare the temple for the work of ministry for another year, as well as to prepare the people. And so we're going to talk about that today. The, the, word, yom, uh, the word Day of Atonement in Hebrew is simply Yom Kippur. Yom is the Hebrew word for day, and Kippur, or a better translation, Kafar, is, uh, is the Hebrew word for atonement. And so when, when you hear the word Yom Kippur, that's basically what it's talking about, just the Day of Atonement. In, the, in your notes, if you don't have these, they would be very helpful to you, because there's a lot of stuff that I'm going to walk you through up on the screen today is really just going to be verses. That's it. So all of the other stuff that I'm going to talk about is going to be in your notes. So if you don't have these, I think Joe's back there. He's got some. If you just raise your hand, he'll bring them to you. If, if you're looking for one, there's some back there. So raise them high. Joe will bring you a set of notes. But in your notes, you'll see the fall feasts. The seven feasts are broken up into three in the, in the spring, one kind of in the middle of the summer, and then three in the fall. We've talked about the first five feasts so far. The spring feast, which are Pentecost, uh, unleavened bread, and the first fruits feast. Those three are all tied together in the spring, and they are all fulfilled in Jesus. And you notice there, uh, the spring feasts were anchored in the birth of the nation, and they're fulfilled in Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And again, if you want to catch up, I'm trying to, you know, trying to give you a little context if you're a brand new person, uh, you know, to kind of understand where these things fit. But those three spring feasts are all fulfilled in Jesus. From those feasts, there's a countdown called the countdown of the Omer, 49 days to trigger then the day of Pentecost, okay? And Pentecost is uh, sometimes called the Feast of Weeks. It is, as it says in your notes, it was anchored in the gift of the Torah or the law to the nation of Israel. And it was fulfilled in the gift of the Holy Spirit given on Pentecost to the church. Okay? Then we got into the fall feast. And the fall feasts are anchored in the future fulfillment of God reconciling everything and making all things right again, okay? And they are yet to be fulfilled. They're prophetic in nature. They are a, a look forward. There's a part of it that has been fulfilled. And especially in this feast, you'll see, as we're talking about the Day of Atonement, you'll see how Christ is significantly a part of the fulfillment of this, uh, this part. But we'll also look forward to a future fulfillment 
that is yet to be fulfilled. So let's talk about the Day of Atonement. Often this is known as Yom Kippur, like I said. It was the holiest or the highest of all the feast days. Okay? Yom Kippur was the feast. In fact, the priests would call this simply the day. If you're you're sitting around, you know, the priests are down at the coffee shop and they're talking, you know, hey, you getting ready for the day? They would be thinking Day of Atonement. Okay? This was the day. And so the priests uh, understood this, that of all the celebrations, this one was the highest celebration. It was the one day of the year where the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a, a place in the temple that was set apart unto God and God alone. The Ark of the Covenant was in the Holy of Holies. And on this one day of the year, the high priest would enter and would minister before the Lord. The purpose of the priest entering into the Holy of Holies was to actually facilitate atonement, a reconciliation between God and man. The word kafar that we translate as atonement actually means to cover or to reconcile. Now, those two things are, are kind of weird, right? Cover, reconcile, what does that mean? Well, let's start with reconcile. The first time I had ever heard the word reconcile, I think it was with my mom. She was a banker, and I had just gotten a checkbook. Okay, How many, Some of you guys don't even know what a checkbook is. Okay? But a checkbook was these little pieces of paper that you could write on, and you could hand them to people, and it would be like a cash. It was amazing. It, how many, raise your hand if you still got a checkbook. Come on. Okay? So, so uh, what you would have to do is when you would write a check and you would pay for something, you'd have to go to what was called your check register. And your register, you would basically write down, these are the transactions that I made. I wrote a check for this amount on this date. It was this check number. And you'd keep a track of all of those transactions. And you'd then have a running balance of how much you had in your account. Okay, so what would happen then is there would come, there would come times when the bank would send you a statement. And the statement would be, these are all the transactions we have recorded for you. And this now is the balance that we say you have. And then you would take your register, your records, and you would reconcile those two things together. Are we, are we following here? Remember, reconciling your checkbook. It's there's the bank's account and there's your account. And somehow you have to bring those into agreement with one another. And it was the greatest anxiety of all if your, those two things did not reconcile, okay? So reconciling just means to bring two things together, to bring them into an agreement with one another. And the Day of Atonement was all about really bringing God and man back into uh, a, a reconciled relationship, bringing us, us back into agreement with one another, that we're not apart from one another, but now we're brought back together. Now, the idea of covering is actually connected to the idea of reconciliation. 
Because let's just imagine it's pouring rain. Like, isn't it been amazing that we've had a little rain over the last couple of days? Kind of cool. Um, so it's pouring rain and you have an umbrella, right? So you open up the umbrella and you're under its covering, right? But what if your child takes the umbrella and separates you from it, okay? They go over there, and now you are what? You are standing in the rain. Do you benefit at all from the covering of the umbrella? No. The only way you're going to benefit again from that covering is if you join back together, right? If you come now back under the covering of that umbrella. Does it make sense? Reconciliation, or this idea of atonement, is to actually bring back into relationships so that God can cover us, right? That there's a covering or that we're now under his authority. He is now protecting us once again. We have not gone and done our own thing. We've now returned to him. So when, when in Isaiah it says that we all like sheep have gone astray, each has gone to his own way. And what does that mean? It means we've left the covering of the shepherd We've done our own thing. So now the shepherd, his protection, his leadership, and his guidance, and all of the provision of the shepherd now we are disconnected from. Because why? Because we, we did our own thing. The only way for us to be atoned for, to be reconciled, is to come back under his leadership, to be covered by him again. Does it make sense? So this idea of atonement carries with it this idea of covering as well as this idea of reconciliation. It basically is just it was when God is bringing us back together with himself, restoring us to our original created intention. Remember when God created Adam and Eve, where were they? They were in Eden. They were in his home. They were in his temple, right? Eden, we, we, we've gone through all of this. We were where God was. We were in paradise with him. He created us to be in union with him. But what happened because of our sin? We were separated. We were cast out. We were put out into the wilderness, okay? We were removed from God's presence out into the wilderness. We needed then atonement. We need to cover, we need to be back under the covering of God. We need to be reconciled with him. So that's why the day of atonement was so important. What would happen on the day of atonement? Well, let's talk about resetting things. How many of you guys uh, hate it when your computer starts acting weird, right? Some of you like it when that happens. I don't get it. Right, Our computers, we, we love our computers as long as they're doing the things we want them to do. And really, we want them to do them quickly. The other day, I was trying to pull up a, a little passage on my software. I have a, a pretty hefty uh, Bible software program on my computer. It kind of takes quite a bit of memory and uh, hard drive space. And it, it's, it's a little bulky because, I, I mean, I have thousands of resources that I can access and, and connect to. And so if I'm searching for something, I'm asking to, it to do a lot. Well, the other day I'm, I'm searching for something and all of a sudden I, I click, I want to pull up a resource and nothing happens. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. So I start clicking a couple other things. Nothing now. I mean, I'm clicking on stuff. Nothing's changing. And then all of a sudden, I get the worst thing you could possibly see on a Mac. You get the spinny wheel of death. 
right? You guys know this? The spinny wheel of death. That gives a person anxiety, doesn't it? All of a sudden, I'm looking at this thing going, oh, man, you know, oh, you know, have I saved everything? What am I going to lose? You know, I'm processing through all of this stuff. Do you know what usually is the solution to the spinny wheel of death? Restarting the computer. The reason typically why we're getting the spinning wheel of death is because we have done so many things over the course of, you know, our days and weeks, rarely, you know, maybe you guys are better at this than I am, but I never shut down my computer unless I have to. Like, I can go to my laptop, I can just close the lid. Is it, when I open it back up, I'm right back to where I left it. So most of the time, it's just always running. And I never close anything down. I never shut off a, a program. I never go to exit, usually, unless I'm starting to have problems. I mean, I right now, if you go to uh, if you looked at my browser, I'd probably have 40 different pages open, right? No, you don't laugh. <laughs> Those are important pages. I don't want to close them. I don't want to lose that stuff, right? So you, you got all these research things up and you don't want to lose it. So all of that stuff is demanding or requiring things and it's building up over the course of time. And as things are starting to build up, guess what your computer's performance starts to do? It starts to wear down. And at some point, you get to a place where you're like, my, your computer goes, I can't do this anymore. And it gives you a little spinny wheel and says, look, you're going to have to do something about this. And when my, my wife or my kids call and say, the computer's not working, do you know what I always tell them to do? Shut down the computer and restart from scratch. Why is that an answer? Well, because quite honestly... It allows us to let go a lot of the things that are entangling and hindering performance. We let that stuff go and we can start now afresh, kind of from the very beginning, a clean slate, everything running the way it's supposed to be without all of the stuff that is holding it back. I want you to think about that when you think about the Day of Atonement because the Day of Atonement in a lot of ways was like, we've heard, we hear this a little bit in our society right now, and that probably gives you a little, <laughs> a little anxiety, but this, this idea of the great reset, the great reset, right? COVID is the opportunity for us to reset everything, reset our financial system, reset our social system, reset our education systems. We can change our society. We can, you know, fix our, our global problems. Right now, we have this opportunity. COVID's giving us the opportunity for the Great Reset. And if you if, if you don't believe me, just search Great Reset on, on the internet. No, don't. You're just going to, that's, it's not worth it. Trust me. Save yourself. Okay? But what I'm saying here is that for the people of Israel, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, was a day of reset. And it was important for them. The reason being is because over the course of the year, what were they continually to, uh, continuing to accumulate? Every day, there'd be a mistake. Every day, there'd be an attitude maybe that was wrong. Every day, there'd be a, you know, a failure of, of you know, relationship or, or business transaction. And all of these mistakes just continue to build up. It would be like not taking your trash out of your house for a year. What do you think would that, that would start to do with your living environment? right? It would start to accumulate and get disgusting and gross. And then finally, you would get to the day of atonement. And on the day of atonement, all of the garbage could be removed. 
and all the dishes could be done and all of the house could be clean, right? It could all be swept away and dealt with and you could start afresh and anew. How many of you guys go, yeah, I want that. So that's why this was the high holy day was because the, in, uh, in Israel, the day of atonement was the great reset. What would happen? Let's talk quickly about that. The day of atonement, everything was done by the high priest. Okay. Now this is important. This feast is not really done by the people. It is done by a mediator on behalf of the people. It is done by the high priest. The high priest would first spend a year If he knew he was the high priest for that year and he was going to have to go into the Holy of Holies, trust me, from the moment the Day of Atonement happened the previous year, right, he gets a blank slate, he would live literally as perfect as he could possibly be because he knew that he was going to have to enter the Holy of Holies. And for the people of Israel, they knew that if you entered God's presence and you were unclean, you were unprepared, you had unconfessed holiness, un, you know, covered sin, that you were probably going to die. You couldn't go into God's presence uh, unprepared. And so for an entire year, the high priest would, would live just ceremonially perfect. I mean, just in every way, like make sure just cautiously didn't touch things that were bad, stayed away from, you know, bad things because they knew I have to be pure and righteous when I step into the Holy of Holies. That the day of uh, Yom Kippur, when the day of atonement comes, the priests would then go and wash themselves in what was called a ritual bath. They would cover themselves with water and cleanse themselves and scrub themselves down, making sure there was no possible contamination on their bodies. Then they would put on all these garments that God had laid out in Leviticus chapter 16. And if you want all the details on the day of atonement, Leviticus 16 is your go-to chapter. Lays it all out there. And he put on all these uh, ceremonial clothes. Some of them uh, included bells on the bottom of their robes. Do you know why the bells were there? So that when you were walking around, they would jingle. And if they stopped jingling, that meant you probably had messed up or you had uh, an issue of uncleanliness or, you know, a sin that you didn't atone for or whatever, and you died. And so they had bells so they could hear you move around and make sure you were still alive. They would also tie a rope around your leg because they couldn't go in to get you or else they'd probably die. So if your bell stopped ringing, then they would just yank you out. That meant that you failed in your responsibility. Isn't that just amazing how they they viewed God? They did not take God for granted. They didn't treat God just like as a a token that they could grab off the shelf and rub and, hey, grant me my three wishes, right? They understood God's holiness and his perfection and his power, and they treated God as such. I think sometimes as Christians, we certainly could learn some lessons about treating God with a greater sense of, of fear and reverence. Once the the priests had gotten all dressed, then they would take fire from the altar or coals from the altar. They would put incense together with it and they would go and set it inside of the Holy of Holies. That incense would begin to smoke and it would create basically a covering for them. That smoke would fill the Holy of Holies and it would ultimately protect them 
Because the idea was if I entered into the Holy of Holies and I perhaps would see God, I would probably die. So they believed that God's presence would be in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant would be. On the Ark of the Covenant, in the, it's, uh, there were these two angels that had their wings spread out towards one another. And it was at the top of that where those wings came together that it was considered the mercy seat or the throne of God. This is where God's presence would manifest itself. So on that mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, this was God's throne. And this was God's presence. And so they would fill it. And that priest would come in once a year. And when the cloud had come, the priest earlier had sacrificed a bull on his behalf. That bull was, again, it was for atonement. It was called a sin offering. And that sin offering was for the high priest, as well as his family. He would take the blood of that bull. He would go into the Holy of Holies and he would dip his finger in the blood, go up to the, the Holy uh, or the uh, Ark of the Covenant and he would sprinkle blood with his finger onto the mercy seat. And then he would step back. He would go over to the front of the Ark of the Covenant and he would sprinkle blood seven times all of this was done to purify or to reset the temple, to cleanse it of any potential unrighteousness, to, to get rid of it, deal with it, kind of get it back to a place where this is right and consecrated unto the Lord. It's now holy. The priest would then go with that blood and he would do the same around the, the temple, around the, the tent of meeting. And then he would go out to the, uh, the altar and he would do the same. He would put blood on the four corners of the altar, sanctifying and, and, and uh, purifying all of the arenas of worship. Then the high priest would go and two goats were presented to him. We've talked about this here uh, a few um, weeks ago when we talked about the goat being sent off into the wilderness. Some of you guys remember in the uh, Cosmic War series, we talked about this event. Two goats were presented to the high priest. Lots were cast between the goats. The goat that was chosen was then sacrificed and its blood then was used to go into the uh, Holy of Holies and do the same thing. This one was now for Israel, right? And the blood then would be... Uh, shaken upon the, uh, the mercy seat. It would be shaken now in front of the mercy seat, in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And then it would be shaken in lots of different places in the temple. And then it, would go, it was gone and put onto the uh, four corners of the altar where sacrifices were made. But then there was another goat, a goat that was not killed. And after all of the temple had been cleansed and set apart and reset unto the Lord, then the priest would go over to that living goat. He would lay his hands on the goat's head. He would impart all of the sin of Israel, of the nation, upon that goat. And then that goat would be led off into the wilderness. It was basically sent away. And again, why was that goat sent off into the wilderness? Because it symbolized the carrying of sin into the place of judgment, the place where sin goes, the wilderness. Just like Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence into the wilderness because of their sin, that's where sin goes. It's dealt with, it's carried away, and it's judged. 
So the, for the day of atonement or Yom Kippur was a day when things were reset as well as a day when your sin was carried away and you don't have to carry its burden any longer. And if you think about that as a nation, you would certainly go, you know what? I'm so thankful that I don't have to keep carrying the weight of my sin day after day after day, year after year after year, that at some point, the, the burden of all of my mistakes and the burden of all my failures would get carried away by a goat and it would be taken to the wilderness where it would be dealt with and judged. Now, as I was studying yesterday morning, I had a whole another little track, but I came across a passage of scripture that as soon as I read it, I'm like, holy cow, this is all about the Day of Atonement. In fact, I've read Hebrews so many different times that I've never fully stopped to understand how in Hebrews chapter 10, this whole thing is actually talking about Christ and the fulfillment of the sacrifices of the Day of Atonement. And so we're going to read it together. In your notes, there are basically all these points about Christ and his fulfillment inside of these verses. I'm sorry, I probably should have put the verses connected to all these points on there. But if you read it, you'll see all of these things. So what we're going to do is we're going to read the first 25 uh, verses of Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm just going to walk through it. We're going we're gonna to pull out how Jesus Christ is not only the atoning sacrifice that covers and makes the temple and restores and makes all of that right. But he's also the scapegoat that carries away the sin for us. And he's also the great high priest who does all the work. Let's read Hebrews chapter 10, verse one. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up there. And, and uh, again, we're going to, uh, we're going to read uh, verses one through 25. Here's what it says. For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifice, uh, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Stop for a moment. Remember last week I, I mentioned that, and I, in fact, it's in your notes still, in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 10, how, how basically God says, I am the Lord, and here's how you know I'm the Lord. I declare the end from the beginning, meaning I can tell you what's going to happen before it happens, and I actually did. I worked it into the law. I worked it into creation. I have, I have put the end into the beginning. Hebrews here, the writer here calls it just a shadow of things to come, right? And he's referring to this day of atonement, this this feast day, this highest holy day that all of the Hebrews, right? Remember, Hebrews was written to Hebrews, to a Jewish audience. They're all familiar with the Day of Atonement. They all know what happens. They understand all of the, the sacrifices that are made. And the writer here says, all of that is just a shadow of what is to come, a reality that is not yet seen, but will be. And he says that it can never buy the same sacrifices, right? It can never fully deal with the issue of sin. Verse two, otherwise they would not have ceased to be offered 
since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take it away. Remember, what are the two sacrifices that take place? Uh, the blood that is sprinkled in front of the mercy seat, in front of the, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, what's that's sprinkled around the temple, that blood is from what? Bull and a goat. Right? He's talking about the, uh, the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement. He said, so blood of bulls and goats can't really reconcile your sin problem. They're not, it's something that has to be done over and over and over. It can't really solve your problem. In verse five, he says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, and as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Notice in that little section, he's quoting actually from Psalm 40 here. And, uh, and he's going back to this little passage, of really the Messiah quoting about this, that God, his justice and his, this atonement, this reconciliation process, it's, it's not enough for the blood of bulls and goats, right? And it uses the word burnt offering and sin offerings here. Well, notice this. When you go to Leviticus 16, the bull is offered as a sin offering. The goat is offered as a burnt offering. And those two different kinds of offerings are actually uh, used throughout the scripture. The sin offering is often used in an idea of atonement. And a burnt offering is often offered in the realm of peace or peacemaking. So just keep those two things in mind as you're thinking through this. Jesus here says, you don't, you don't want this to continue on, but you've given me what? A body. And I have come to do your will, which is what? Fulfill all of this. Verse 8. When Jesus said above, right, I'm, I'm, I'm reading that in here. You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice and burnt and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. Jesus or Christ does away with the first, which is the day of atonement, in order to establish the second, which is his atonement. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what do we see? The, the writer here of Hebrews says that what? Christ's body is offered. He is that atoning sacrifice. The, the sacrifice of the bull, the sacrifice of the goat. Jesus fulfills that, and it's that what actually remedies our sin problem once and for all. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, hold on, listen to that. What does that say Jesus is? He's not just the sacrificial lamb. He's not just the bull. What is he also? He's the priest. Because he's the one who's offering the single sacrifice for sins. And after this, now it's all done. 
once and for all. Now he is now sitting down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified or set apart unto him. Are you following here? We tracking? This is all talking about Jesus fulfilling the day of atonement. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, this is the covenant that I made with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Let's stop there for a moment. Notice here he says that what? I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Why? Because they've been removed. They have now been made perfect. Remember the idea of the scapegoat, the the goat that is sent off into the wilderness. The sin is put on that goat and the goat carries it away to a place of judgment. Notice what it says in Isaiah. It says that we all like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way and the Lord has done what? has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Isaiah here is saying that Christ, all of our sin was put on Christ, and Christ became the one who carried it away into the wilderness for us. And therefore, God doesn't remember it. It's been dealt with. It's been reconciled through Jesus Christ. And where there's forgiveness of these sins, there's no longer any offering for sin, right? We don't need another offering. Christ is sufficient. His sacrifice is once and for all for those who put their faith and trust in him. Verse 19, therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let's stop there. Who gets to go into the holy of holies? Only the high priest. But now the writer of Hebrews here says what? We can go into the Holy of Holies, into God's presence, a place only for the high priest. We get to go there, why? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been made pure. We have been reconciled with him. We are in agreement. We're, there's, not, there's not a judgment upon us any longer. That's why when Paul writes in, uh, in Romans chapter eight, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? We're not, we don't have a judgment on us and we can now go boldly before the throne of grace. So the writer here says we can have confidence entering into the most holy place. This is the only place reserved for priests, but now only, not only do we have Jesus as our high priest, but what are we as followers of Christ? We also are priests in him. By the new, this in verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. I'll stop there for a second. Some of you guys remember back at the beginning of the Cosmic War series where we talked about dimensions and boundaries and that there were portals or doorways and that Christ literally says, I am the gate, I am the door. No one can come to the Father into paradise except what? Through me. 
Well, all of a sudden now we have this imagery of the the, uh, Day of Atonement, which is there is a veil between mankind and God, the Holy of Holies. And what did the priest have to do to enter into the Holy of Holies? He had to go through the curtain. And the writer of Hebrews says, now Christ is that curtain. He is the way for us to access God through his flesh, it says. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, who's the great high priest? This is Jesus. Remember, who can do all of the work on the day of atonement? It's not you and I, it's the great high priest. And Jesus Christ is that great high priest who is over the house of God. Then let us do what? Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean. The word sprinkled is important because what happens? Cleansing the temple, purifying, right? How does it happen? A priest in there sprinkling the blood over all of it. Well, we have also been sprinkled. Our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And our bodies, what? Washed with pure water. What did the priest have to do? He'd have to go before going in. He'd have to wash himself in a ritual bath to be made pure. All of this is being fulfilled in Christ. He has sprinkled our hearts and he has cleansed our bodies. He's made us pure and right before God. Now, verse 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast to it. Then I want to read a passage that is probably for many of us very familiar. We've probably heard this passage But if you understand this passage in the light of the Day of Atonement, it might make tremendous difference in how you understand it. Here's what he says. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Remember, what did the priests call the Day of Atonement? They called it the day. And I can just, I find it fascinating that the writer of Hebrews here says, you and I have to posture ourselves in a place of encouraging and challenging and spurring one another on towards holiness and righteousness and being right with God more and more and more as you see the day approaching. Here's something you need to know about the time between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. It was called 10 Days of Awe. You have it in your notes there, these 10 Days of Repentance. The Jewish people believed that on the Day of Atonement, eternal destinies would be determined. That on the Day of Atonement, God would kind of look over mankind, and if you were really holy and you were really good, God would then write your name in the the book of life. If you were really bad, you were unrighteous, unrepentant, God would write your name in the book of death. And so during the 10 days leading up to the, the day, do you know what people would do? They would greet one another with this greeting, may your name be written in the book of life. It was an encouragement to remember that the day is drawing closer and you need to take it seriously, meaning repent, get right. If you've done wrong things, confess it. You know, if if you've hurt people, make restitution, right? Do whatever you take because the day is approaching 
when a judgment is going to take place and you never know if you're going to make it into the book of life or the book of death. So live accordingly. This was the challenge that people would understand in these 10 days leading up to the day of atonement, that they would encourage and spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You catch it? What does it say? Verse 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not neglecting meeting together. Right? Don't, don't forsake that gathering. Right? Stay connected with people. Don't just go off and live as a hermit and go, oh, I don't want to you know, tarnish my you know, uh, reputation or potentially get caught up in something that might hurt me, right? He's like, no, no, no. Gather together, but challenge each other to be holy and completely set apart unto God. And even more as you get closer to the day. The day. Well, what do we know? We know that the day of atonement is fulfilled in Jesus, but we also know there's a, a future fulfillment when Christ makes all things right. When everything gets made new. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's this idea of the coming day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, the day, is just understood to be the day when God's judgment will judge sin and wickedness and rebellion, and he will establish his kingdom and his people, and he will make it all right again. That's the day of the Lord. And when God will reset everything, and we'll get to start with a fresh slate, we'll get to be fresh and anew. And what does it say? I'm just going to jump in Revelation chapter 21. I would say this is all kind of the culmination of what? The day of the Lord. Revelation 21, 1 through 8. I'm not going to read all of that, but I will jump to, I believe, verse 8. Or maybe it's verse 6. Anyway, it says, He who is seated on the throne, this is Jesus, says what? Behold, I make all things new. This is after seeing a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, and, and now everything's kind of getting reset, right? It's back the way it should be. And Christ is the one who said, I'm the one who's resetting everything. I'm the one who's given you a clean slate. I'm the one who gets to set things right. He ultimately is the sacrifice. He is the scapegoat for us. He is the great high priest. And it is through Christ that we no longer have to worry about the mounting weight of our sin. Because if we are humble, we can bring our lives to God and simply surrender it all to him. Guys, I'd like us to close in prayer. But for some of you, this might be just a moment of just surrender to God, of bringing your sin to the only one who can actually do something about it, the great high priest, who can not only atone for it, but can also carry it away. You never have to deal with it ever again. Christ is the only one who can do that for us. 
And maybe for some of us, we just need to bring our past. We need to bring our mistakes. We've got to bring our failures. No matter how much, no matter how big, no matter how hard, no matter how dark, we bring it all to the great high priest. And I just want to encourage you, today is a day of atonement. Every day. We don't have to wait for it to happen for another year. It's been done. It's happened once and for all. Amen. So God, we bow our hearts before you. And we humble ourselves, recognizing our great need of you and, and your work in our lives. We proclaim you as the great high priest over all. And we thank you, not only that you are the high priest who is offering the sacrifices, but you also are the perfect sacrifice and that you are sufficient to not only atone for our sin, but to remove it and judge it and eradicate it. So Lord, we bring all of our brokenness to you, all of our mess to you. We lay it at your feet and we pray, Lord, that you would let us walk from this place fresh and anew, having a clean slate before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, we ran a little long. Surprise! (laughs) But we got to go. So God bless you. We'll deal with the the seventh feast next week. And until then, go with God, and we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to the Harvest Springs podcast. Our hope is that you hear the truth of God's word and that you are encouraged and challenged by it. If you would like to take your faith journey to the next level, check out the Getting Started plan on our mobile app or our website, harvestsprings.com. The Getting Started plan is a seven-day video-based teaching that will help you start your relationship with Jesus off in the right direction. And if there's anything that we can do to help, just fill out a connection card on our website or on the mobile app.